0: Welcome to the True Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Taylor, and this is our first episode back from hiatus in the new era of the True Beauty Podcast. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. I'm honestly so excited that it has taken me way longer to record this episode than I thought that it would because I have been just driving myself crazy. (laughs) I've been driving myself crazy. Because I just want it to be great for you guys. I'm in this phase right now where I just feel like, you know, I'm moving into a new era of my life. And I'm so excited because you guys have been here with me through, you know, so many changes from launching the podcast in the pandemic to, you know, launching a new store to going now solo on the podcast and there's even more changes that I'm going to tell you about in this episode which is why it's been so hard for me to sit down and just record this episode because it's been a, it's a, it's a lot it's a lot of really exciting things that are happening but you know I'm a little bit scared I'm nervous but I'm excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited that every time I talk about this, I begin to cry. And that's how I know these days that I'm speaking my truth, because like, I just can't hold back my emotions in the best possible way. So before we jump in, if you find value in my show, please do me a favor and leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You know that I love you beauty baddies, and my biggest goal is to continue to grow this community. Weirdly enough, a five-star review is a way to make that happen. So, I'm very very excited to just to start this episode. You know, I've been thinking about what the new format of the show is going to look like and I I've got a great I mean, I've got a great In terms of the guests that we're going to have on, in terms of guested episodes, I know exactly what that's going to look like, and it's going to be great. It's really in terms of these solo episodes that I've been like, what am I going to say? What am I going to talk to the baddies about? How's that going to look? And I'm still honestly figuring that out. But um, you know, I really put myself in a situation of analysis paralysis because y'all you know know I want to do the most. So one of the things that I really want to do is, you know, expand into video. And so if you follow me on Instagram, I'm sure you saw me posting this. I made a whole little set, you know, I set everything up and then I just couldn't force myself to sit down and record this episode. And I realized I was putting way too much pressure on myself. I was like, girl, you've never done a video podcast, although you've done many, many, many podcast episodes. So how about just start with what you know, Just sit down and talk to the baddies and then worry about, you know, showing your face to the baddies later. So that's what's going to be coming up later. Maybe next episode. We'll see. But um, for today, I just wanted to pop on the mic and just get this stuff going. Right. So to open up the show, I'm going to share something that I'm really nervous to share with you, but I'm really, really thrilled. So I decided to close the studio Which I've had for the past 10 years and which has been such a huge part of my life and has been such a huge part of my mission. I'm getting emotional saying this because, you know, I love serving my community. I love being there for you guys. This is my digital community. I love being there for my physical community, you know. I know that there aren't a lot of places for women of color to go and feel comfortable and know that there was a space that was built for them, to know that they're being taken care of by somebody who loves them for them and who has the knowledge to, you know, to help with our very real and very specific different needs, whether that's because our skin is melanated, whether that's because we, whatever it is, have never felt seen before. Like, I just love to be there for my community. And so that's why... It was so difficult for me to make this decision. And that's why I've held on to the studio for so long. And why I've tried so long to just make it work, you know, make make the money make sense, which it never has. But I I just love what I do so much that I didn't care that I wasn't really making like the monetary progress that I wanted to make, right? And so I came to a point earlier this month where I just realized that Things weren't working, and I didn't know how to make them work, and I was really kind of just at my wit's end, and I just thought, well, I've just got – I've got to – I just can't afford this anymore. I've just got to let this go, right? And so I called one of my cohort members from the Goldman Sachs program, and in tears – Well, this is the funny thing. The reality is that I was calling him because I thought, well, without the store, I guess like, you know, I've got to go get a corporate job. I guess I've got to go work in corporate beauty. Meanwhile, y'all know I've never worked in corporate beauty before. (laughs) I've never had a corporate job. After college, I started bartending because I graduated in 2008. And that's kind of that's really what led me to uh, my career in beauty. Um, but I was just scared. I was just scared. And I knew that I needed to support myself. And so, of course, this is America. That was my first thought. So I called my friend, Michael, who is also an entrepreneur, but used to work in the beauty industry before pivoting. And I told him everything that was going on. And he said, for- <laughs> he said, Elizabeth, first of all, you have no experience working in corporate beauty. So I don't know where you think you're going to get a job, but I don't think that that's for you. And he said, but more importantly than that, Elizabeth, the store isn't What you want to do. He said, as long as I've known you, your heart has been, I'm getting emotional again, guys. Your heart has been the podcast. Your heart has been serving your podcast community. And what you really want to do is to make, you know, a brand for them, to make a product line, to make an e commerce site. That's what your goal has always been. And I realized he was right. I spent, I never even told you guys this, which is, That's on me. That's on me. (laughs) Because, (laughs) you know, I think part of me thought that the dream was too big. And so I was afraid to to speak it and I was afraid to really take that leap. And my friends, Michael was the first to remind me this, but after I got off the phone with Michael, I spoke with literally like seven other members of my cohort and they all said, Elizabeth, this is the best news you could have told us. (laughs) They all said, Elizabeth, this is the best decision you could have made. They're like, fuck that store. I'm trying not to curse on the podcast anymore. Sorry, guys, but this is the truth. They said, let that go. We understand that that's where you're comfortable. That's what you've been doing for all of these years and that you love serving your community. But you can continue to serve your community without the store. There are other ways that you can continue to serve your community. You can do in-home appointments. You can take clients from your apartment if you want to. Y'all, you ain't coming to my apartment. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to figure it out. But he just reminded me, they all just reminded me that I can continue on my mission without this huge overhead that was just really weighing me down. And more so is that I can do what I really want to do. And what I really want to do is to make something for you guys. You know, I know that there are products that you need because we talk about them here. I know that you guys are frustrated in so many different ways. And I want to be able to solve that. I want to be able to make just incredible products to serve our community. And so that's what I'm going to be doing. That's what I'm going to be doing, y'all. I'm taking a massive pivot and I am really focusing all of my attention on you, on the podcast, on growing this audience, on building an e-commerce site, on building a product line and... I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I it's funny how fast things have changed from sobbing from not being able to get out of bed for 2 days to feeling the most excited I felt in years. In years. And so I'm just really excited to go on this journey with you guys. I'm so thrilled. And I'm excited. I'm just excited. That's it. I'm just fucking excited. Sorry for cursing again. I'm working on it. I'm just excited. So, y'all, that's what's been going on with me since we've last caught up, (laughs) is all of these massive changes in my life, all of these massive changes that I'm so, so, so excited about. And now that I've told y'all, I feel like a huge weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I feel like I've been carrying this around the secret, this big secret that lights me up inside, but that, you know, when dreams are too big, they become like, you don't want to tell people, right? You don't want to tell people because you don't want, you don't want them to, for me personally, I don't want you to project your fear onto me because I'm nuts. I know that I'm nuts. I know that I dream big. I know that I dream bigger than most people should. I'm very aware of this, but I've made all of my other dreams come true. So who's to say that this one can't either? And when I say either, I mean also. I'm excited. I'm excited. So with that being said, y'all, let's transition to my favorite segment, which is really probably going to be the crux of this episode today. My favorite segment, which is the inductee into the Beauty Baddie Hall of Fame. And really, my... The universe was speaking to me this week, guys. The universe was speaking to me because the story that I'm gonna share with you today is so encompassing of everything that I just told you. And I'm really excited to share it with you and make today's episode going into the new era of my life, of my career. And, you know highlighting these other women who came before me, whose missions were so similar, whose hearts had the same want and need to give to their community and to help to lift people up. And it's in reading it, it's really what showed me like that you're making the right decision. It's in your blood. It's in your lineage. Even though these women aren't part of my lineage, their story certainly is. So, Let's take a really quick break, and when we get back, I'm going to be sharing with you the story of Madam C.J. Walker and the story of a woman who I never heard of before uh, a few days ago and who you are now not going to be able to get out of your mind. Her name is Annie Minerva Turnbow, and she began the Poro Beauty Company. So we're going to be speaking about those two women in one moment when we come back from this break. Y'all know that I love an outfit. And as of late, I'm really not into the athleisure aesthetic. However, because I love an outfit, once I get home, I want to be super cozy and I want to be in soft clothes. But just because I'm cozy doesn't mean that having an outfit stops. (laughs) So recently, I've been really honing in on my at home chic looks so your girl has been rocking really cute things and that's when cozy earth came into my life their line of women's loungewear features effortless silhouettes that are designed for everyday wear and comfort they're crafted from premium viscose from bamboo and are ultra soft and temperature regulating y'all know i sleep hot (laughs) I kind of run hot, period. So it's really nice that this is super temperature regulating, which means it's super cool. Even if I do sweat, I just don't wake up feeling sticky. I wake up always just feeling like really comfortable and lovely. Cozy Earths Women's Loungewear are modern staples for everyday wear, no matter what the activity. Y'all, I love these so much. When my sister came over, I gave her a pair to take home with her because I just love to give gifts. And once I got my own pair, I wanted to get a pair for her as well. And she absolutely loved them also. You can go from bed to brunch in Cozy Earth's versatile line of loungewear. It's comfortable, flattering, and luxurious. I would change your outfit so you're not like going straight from bed to brunch, but you can have different outfits all from Cozy Earth, and nobody would even know that they're secretly your soft pants (laughs) that you wear at home. This is a great go-to style for everyday wear, and because it's made from the world's softest viscose from bamboo, it makes a great Mother's Day gift. Mother's Day is just around the corner, y'all. So if you are a Little bit late and need to grab something for all of the moms in your life. Definitely grab something. I know there's lots of aunties that are listening that are like, oh, my sister, my brother, my sister in law. <laughs> I need to get them some gifts. So Cozy Earth is a great option. And now, beauty baddies, y'all know I had to do something special for you. Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer from my listeners. Get 35% off site wide when you use the code TrueBeaUTY at cozyearth.com. That's cozyearth.com and use the code TrueBeaUTY to get 35% off site wide. Okay, guys, let's jump into my favorite segment of the show. And honestly, what's going to be making up the bulk of today's episode, and that is the inductee into the Beauty Baddy Hall of Fame. So, in this segment, we pay homage to some of our favorite heroes of past and present and teach the Beauty Baddy community about who they are and why they're being inducted. And so, today, we are inducting into the Beauty Baddy Almanac two women. We are inducting Madam C.J. Walker, and we are also inducting Annie Minerva Turnbow. So the information for this, all of what I'm about to share with you, came from an incredible book called Black Fortunes, and it's by Shamari Wills. And its subtitle is The Story of the First Six African Americans Who Escaped Slavery and Became Millionaires. So to open, I want to just tell you a little bit about what, uh, I'm going to set us up, right? I'm going to tell you a little bit about what post Civil War America looks like, specifically in the black hair care industry and specifically for black women. So the black beauty industry in the years after slavery was really dominated by traveling salesmen and companies that sold products that were made to alter the appearance of black people to make them look more like white people. So black skin removers, whitening pills and hair straighteners were advertised in pamphlets. And the goal was really of helping black people to assimilate into white society. None of these things worked. But because black people truly believe that looking whiter would help them achieve higher self-esteem and social status, these things were bought all the time. And I gotta stop right now because not much has changed honestly It's really unfortunate but it's the truth is um, you know a lot of people and this isn't just black people I think that this is any person of color they really we really believe that to, assimilate more into white culture to have more white features means that we will be either accepted more or look more beautiful or get a higher paying job or, or any of these lies that we have either been told or that we have believed over time. So that was the first thing that I just thought was so interesting that all of these years later, so much is still the same. And so really, during this time, hair was more of a social institution than it was a business. So women had their hair braided and styled by family members or friends in their homes, and there really wasn't any money exchanged. And especially because during enslavement, black people had been treated as chattel and we'd been deprived of adequate clothing and soap. And so there's no defined black aesthetic or black hair care in the years after the Emancipation Proclamation. So, you know, really black women wore hairstyles that were adopted from African braiding techniques or they just kept their hair hidden under bonnets and scarves. So this led a lot of women to, you know, taking these really drastic measures to try to alter their appearance. And it left a lot of women with either baldness or, um, you know, damaging their hair or just so many different ways of, having damaged hair or rather than having healthy, beautiful hair. And besides that, rather than embracing their own beauty, a lot of it was just altering their beauty, trying to look different, trying to to fit into society. So really at the time that we're about to uh, introduce our, our main characters, many women had their scalps damaged by chemicals, their hair follicles were clogged by heavy oils, or they were just losing their hair. And so even if there was somebody that was good at styling hair, getting your hair to grow or to grow back again was a whole nother matter. So let's cut to, you know, the late 1800s, before the turn of the century. And this woman, at the time, she's a little girl, named Annie Minerva Turnbow. So Annie loved to do hair and she would always do her sister's hair and her friend's hair in their kitchen. And she was very good at it. But as I said, there's really no business model for her to follow in terms of making money from doing hair. And so... Even though she had this dream of some of one day, you know, being this business owner that could care for hair and work with women, because there hadn't been any roadmap laid out before her, it was, and especially because this is post uh, enslavement, and so there really aren't very many options for Black people. Period. It was really a pipe dream, and this wasn't really something that she could sink her teeth into. It was just something that she really spent time thinking about, and really, you know, uh, investing her time in learning about. So one day, when Annie was young, she got very sick. She was sent on an errand to buy some herbs from a local herbalist. And it was in meeting this herbalist that she started to learn about the medicinal powers of herbs. And so, I can't not say that if you haven't listened to our series on hippie shit, <laughs> you definitely have to go and check it out because we did a whole series on sort of the beginning of the beauty industry and where all of these incredible products come from, right? And it comes, the original medicine was from herbs, it was from herbs and roots and, um, clays and minerals and all these things so we have some great episodes regarding that but back to annie so annie met an herbalist and while she was there she was started to look through her apothecary and she was looking at all the different jars and she, she asked her if she had anything to grow back hair and she said i got lots of things to grow back hair girl so she made her a little concoction and she sent her home with it And when she went home, she had a friend who unfortunately had recently burned her hair off trying to use a hair straightener. And so she had all these bald patches all over her head. And she asked if she could use this uh, elixir to see if she could heal her hair. And so within a few days, her skin started to heal. And then within a few weeks, her hair started to grow back. So from then on, Annie became sort of obsessed with this idea of Growing back hair and alchemy and herbalism. And so throughout her childhood, she started to read anything that she could about chemistry, biology, hygiene, and she'd start to learn about hair. She would try, you know, different ointments on stray cats and that she would find that had mange and see that their hair would start to grow back. She would go to pharmacies and buy, um, you know, creams and add the elixirs to those creams and then learn how to actually make the cream so that then she could make her whole products from beginning to end. And so she worked on this for 10 years And she worked on different women after she found out that it worked on cats. (laughs) So she began to find all the different women who had their hair burned by hair straighteners or by chemicals or, you know, clogged follicles. And she started to teach them about washing their hair and about taking care of their hair. And she named her new product, The Wonderful Hair Grower. And she started to use this on all of these women and was so shocked and happy and, and thrilled to see that it really worked. So by her 30th birthday in 1899, she had more than 200 clients. And really, this was the majority of her entire town. All of the black women that were in town were all of her clients. But she still really wasn't making that much money. So she decided she needed to get more customers. So she moved to St. Louis with her wonderful hair grower and she began knocking on doors and she would meet women and she would go in and she would start to wash their hair and she would talk to them and use her hair grower and she would do their hair and then... Little by little, this is how she would gain customers. One day she went to a, an apartment and she knocked on the door and she met a woman named Sarah Breedlove. Sarah was a woman who was a, a widow and a mother, and she had immigrated to St. Louis from Louisiana. One of the first things that Annie noticed was that her hair was short and matted and her scalp was dry and flaky and she had some bald spots. So when she started to shampoo her hair, she started to learn a little bit more about Sarah. So Sarah had a daughter, she worked as a laundress, and she was also the daughter of enslaved African-Americans. She also became an orphan when her parents had died when she was a young girl. And this is really where the two women connected. So as she began to wash her hair and she massaged her scalp and she used her wonderful hair grower and she started to see that her hair would grow back. So Annie and Sarah soon became friends, and Annie actually offered her a job selling her products. And Sarah accepted, and within a few weeks, Sarah Breedlove was one of the best saleswomen for Annie within the region. A few years later, the World's Fair came, and the World's Fair really opened up Annie's eyes in that she had never left the South, or the Midwest before. And so this is when she met Black tourists from the West, from the East, from the Caribbean, and she started to sell her products to them. And then she used this opportunity to begin building a national sales network for these women. And so she was able to take her company from being a regional business to now being a global brand. So although her business was now starting to take off, Sarah, although she was one of her best saleswomen, decided that she wanted to leave St. Louis and she was going to move to Colorado to continue selling the products and to help to expand the brand, which Annie thought was a great idea. Unfortunately, when Sarah got to Denver, she met a man named Charles Joseph Walker, CJ Walker. And uh, they married and this Charles convinced her that she should stop selling Annie's products and they should start their own line. And unfortunately, because Annie hadn't trademarked the name or the formulas that she had given to Sarah, she was powerless from stopping her. And Sarah Breedlove became C.J. Walker, became Madam C.J. Walker and began her own company. Y'all didn't think that was coming, did it? I didn't think that was coming either. I was shocked when I heard that. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. So all this time, this woman that we've been told was the first black millionaire who created her own hair care line actually stole this from another woman. Look, we're not here to judge. At first I started judging. Then I thought, girl, keep reading. We don't know what happened. Just keep reading. First of all, these are two women who are not desperate, but don't have much. They don't have much by ways of opportunity. And so the opportunities that they decided to embark on were opportunities that both helped themselves in that they needed these products, but also helped other people in that they were able to sell their products to their community and to give them something that nobody else was giving them. So yes, Sarah Breedlove, a.k.a. Madam CJ Walker, she's a a little shady. But y'all might like her by the end of this. So let's keep going, right? Okay, so let's cut to about nine years later in 1912. Annie's company, Poro, was now di- being distributed across the 46 states, and she had hair salons and offices all across the country. She was employing black women to act as her sales evangelist and to help to spread the gospel of the Poro. And it's worth saying that as the Reconstruction era was replaced by Jim Crow and Blacks became excluded from white shops and sections of town, a powerful Black economy was emerging. So because they were excluded from white institutions, Black people sought out Black-owned businesses and built all Black communities to spend their money. So Annie, uh, you know, working with this great new influx of uh, the black economy was able to open Poro College, which was a training center for hairstylists. She built a sales force of thousands, and she franchised hundreds of beauty shops. By 1914, Annie was worth between 1.5 and 3 million dollars, which is in today's money between 36.4 million and 72.8 million dollars. Oh my God, Annie, you are a baddie! She was the head of a business empire. And she had more than 4,000 agents in 46 states, as well as Jamaica, Trinidad, Cuba, West Africa, and the Philippines. She lived in a mansion managed by two maids. Her home had 26 rooms, and she had headquarters that would span nearly an entire two-acre block of St. Louis, and it employed more than 200 people. The building was a large four-story rectangular brick building, and inside was a college, meeting rooms, a dining hall, and a dormitory. And it also included a factory where Poro products were made, a greenhouse where the herbs for the products, and the vegetables and fruits for the dining hall would be grown. Wow. I love this. I love this story because Annie... She just did it. She did all the things that we've spoken about on this show. Like this reminds me of Caress, of when she was saying that she built her factory and she had her own um, recycling plants in there. It reminds me so much of my friend Charnay, who has his own Barber Academy. It just reminds me so much of all these people that I've met over the years that are following in the footsteps of these awesome women. So that's Annie. Annie is a baddie a baddie. <laughs> let's jump back to Madam CJ Walker. Let's feel, let's uh, see how she's doing, right? I first learned about Thrive Cosmetics through a podcast read. I remember hearing the host say cosmetics And thinking, wow, that's a really funny accent. And then when I saw it written out, I saw that it had the name cause. Like, what's your cause for justice in the name rather than cosmetics? And I thought that was really awesome because it said to me that this was a brand that has a cause at the root of their mission, which is really like my mission. My mission at True Beauty and the True Beauty Podcast is to share how to be beautiful both inside and out through makeup, cosmetics, skincare, and also through giving back and learning about about social justice, learning about the communities of the people that are around us and the people that we love. And this is a mission that's really true to who Thrive Cosmetics is also. One of their products that I absolutely love is their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. I love lashes. I offer lashes as one of the services at True Beauty, but also lashes was one of the things that I first really loved about myself. I loved mascara and I would find any mascara that would add a ton of volume. So later in life, once I started to learn about all of the harmful chemicals that can be in a lot of different products, mascara was the one natural or vegan product that I really had a hard time finding because most mascaras would smudge even if they had great technology to have awesome volume, By the end of the day, people were usually looking at me and saying, Girl, you got a little something underneath your eye. So when I got the Liquid Lash Extensions mascara from Thrive Cosmetics, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bit hesitant just knowing what my past experiences had been with different types of vegan, cruelty free, and natural mascaras. But y'all, I was so wrong. This mascara is incredible. After the first sweep, you were already starting to see incredible volume building. It really lengthens your lashes. And to my happiest surprise, there is no flaking there's no smudging you can even in my experience go underwater And these things do not move off of your eyes. This incredible mascara will not smudge. The really great thing is that it mimics the look of lash extensions without damaging glue. All right, you heard it here from me first. I actually used to offer lash extensions as a service and this is the truth. They use a proprietary tubing formula. And so that means that the product actually wraps around each of your lash as you apply it. And so that's what's going to dramatically lengthen and define your lashes from root to tip. And the cool thing about this tubing technology is that you don't even need to use a makeup remover or anything really harsh. You don't need to tug to try and get it off when you're done. You can just use warm water and a washcloth and these tubes literally just slide right off of your lashes. You don't even need to use soap. It's really incredible. And this is actually Thrive Cosmetics' best-selling product. As I already told you guys, I love that this company is certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free beauty and the products that they make are made with clean, skin-loving ingredients. There are no parabens, no sulfates or phthalates and all of this is done without compromising performance we love this I said before that one of the things I love about Thrive Cosmetics is that they have a mission statement that makes their mission bigger than their products. And Cause is in the name for a reason because it's a part of their mission. And so every purchase supports organizations that help communities thrive, like the LGBTQ plus community, or they help to battle racial and social injustice. They also help with houselessness. They help with education and help with domestic abuse. I think that this is just all awesome. You know, all of these things are so near and dear to my heart. And so if you can support a company that's supporting the things that we care about, that's really putting your dollar where you want to. You have to try Thrive Cosmetics to see for yourself and really experience how awesome their products are. And right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com truebeauty. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, Dot com slash true beauty for 20% off your first order. Okay, so Annie's killing it, right? Let's jump back to 1912. And around the same time that Annie's making $76 million, let's see how our homegirl Sarah Breedlove, aka Madam CJ Walker, is doing. So she's doing okay. Her business was making a little over $10,000 a year, which is about $250,000, and they were selling hair products through the mail and franchising beauty salons. So they were doing okay, but it was nowhere close to Annie's more than million dollar market share. And Sarah was a little bit, um, you know, she she was upset. She thought that she'd be much closer to where Annie was by this point. So... She realized that her husband, he was trash, so she had to get rid of him. Kept his name, but she had to get rid of him. And once she got rid of him, she was able to start reconstructing her company. And so once she got her hands into the books and really saw what she was working with, she realized that there really wasn't a way for her to catch up with Annie, and she had to think about it in a different way, especially because she really hadn't even come up with her own idea. I mean, she had stolen Annie's formula and was just knocking her off, quite honestly. She was the Pepsi to Annie's Coke, right? But... She's still Pepsi, she's still doing okay. And she realized that rather than trying to compete with Annie in terms of size, she would compete with her in terms of marketing. A true American, she said, girl, I got the PR. (laughs) I can figure out how to make this, how to make the people want what I got. So she started to think, how can I really boost my marketing? How can I really boost my PR? And she realized that if she could get somebody, a celebrity essentially, to endorse her, that would be her ticket, right? And so at the time, Booker T. Washington was was the most famous Black person in America. He was a friend of lots of Black millionaires. There weren't that many. Um, and he was also the head of the Tuskegee Institute and the founder, along with Andrew Carnegie, of the National Negro Business League, He, which was a preeminent organization for Black entrepreneurs. So she knew if she could get an endorsement from him, she would be gold. But it wouldn't be easy. Washington despised black hair care and beauty products because they believe uh, because he believed they encouraged the imitation of whiteness. He's not wrong. At that time, most of them did. And he actually wrote to newspapers, black newspapers, asking them not to carry black hair care and makeup ads. And at his institute, the Tuskegee Institute, he banned makeup for the Indian and black students. So, Madam was like, that's my man. <laughs> and she spent years trying to allow him to... Even take her call. And he was like, nah, girl, nah, I'm too busy for this. She showed up at his door one day and uh, you know, came to speak with him in person. He was like, I'm not talking to you. And he sent one of his assistants out instead to speak with her. She showed up at a conference that he was having, stood up and began to speak when she realized that she was much more successful than some of the men that he had brought. And he just, he literally ignored her. He let her talk and then he just continued on like she had never said anything. And so at this point, Madam was feeling a little, she was feeling despondent. You know, she was doing okay. She wasn't, you know, making $80 million like our girl Annie. But especially for a black woman, she was doing well. She owned property. She had, you know, her own business. She had a boarding house. And so she just decided, you know what? I'm just going to start spending my money. She's like, people don't want to respect me, but that's fine. I got some money. I'm going to start to spend it. (laughs) So... Really, one of her reasons for spending this money was because she wanted to cement herself as a member of the black elite. So in 1912, she purchased a brownstone uh, townhouse in Harlem. After that, she continued to spend and bought a coal touring car, which was the top luxury vehicle on the market. Her daughter, who um, the madam was grooming to take over her business, one day spent thousands of dollars on pearls, gold and clothing. And meanwhile, her business manager was like, you got to (laughs) stop. I don't know what you're doing. The money's coming in, but you're spending it faster than it can come in. And she just thought, you know what? Whatever. So Madam's new lavish lifestyle really ate away at her profits, but it also raised her profile. So even though she wasn't the first rich African-American, she was the first brazenly wealthy and openly black African-American, which is a different story. And some other stories in this book are really interesting because they talk about different black people who had to hide their wealth, who would own mansions on Fifth Avenue, but wouldn't leave their home because their neighbors wouldn't find out that they're black and it would be a problem. And so this is why this is so incredible. Other people would literally you know, hide in their homes, hide their wealth. And she was just like, nah, girl, I'm here. I got diamonds, I got the drip. I got a Rolls Royce. I got a townhouse. I got diamonds and pearls. Look at my daughter. She got diamonds and pearls, too. <laughs> and so this made the Black Society pages start to report on her house, her cars, her jewelry. And they really started to wonder, how much money does she have? Is she a millionaire? And so this is really how the madam created her, you know, her legacy was that <laughs> she wanted to buy a nice shit. And you know that your girl understands this. I love nice things. It's incredible. And this is why this is so funny because she, her showing off her wealth eventually got Booker T. Washington to warm up to her because he realized, oh, wait, this is somebody who could actually donate to my school. This is somebody who could help to raise my profile. So he started to warm up to her and started to like her, even though – Really, she was creating this incredible empire. Was it as big as Annie's? No, but she was creating an empire that was made for black women by black women. And it wasn't made to have black women try to alter their appearance to look white. It was about black women loving themselves, empowering their communities, empowering their families and empowering the entire culture by just being herself by saying, yes, I worked hard for this and I'm allowed to show it off. I'm allowed to show what I believe I'm worth. And that, look, also we're living in a time of... um of of Instagram, right? Everybody's showing off their drip. Everybody's showing off what they have. And this also kind of reminded me of this story. And that's not the point that I'm trying to make. I'm not saying that you need to try to be bigger than you are, but I am saying that you should be proud of who you are and you shouldn't be afraid to show off who you are because of other people's insecurities. And that's really what I got from Madam C.J. Walker's story, which I really, really loved. Um, So what I didn't mention about Madam, is that she, along with realizing that she needed better marketing, is she actually became friends with a newspaper publisher who um, was one of the more influential people within Black society. And so this this is the person who really helped to cement her legacy because the Madam, as we said, she loved to spend. And she, as she rose to celebrity, she continued to spend. So, in 1918, um, the Madame C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company brought in 275 thousand dollars, over 275 thousand dollars in revenue, which in today's money is 4.4 million dollars. Half of it was profit, um, which was incredible because she had only made about 150 thousand the year before. However. She decided I'm gonna spend that. <laughs> so even though she brought in about 3.2 million in today's money, she had spent 5.3 million building a mansion. Um, you know, she also went and bought jewelry. She went to Tiffany's and bought a 3.38. Car- <laughs> she bought a 3.38 carat solitaire diamond set in platinum, surrounded by 66 tiny diamonds and matching earrings. I can't even imagine today in 2023 what that looks like. Imagine in 1912, a black woman walking into Tiffany. I'm getting emotional just saying this. Walking into Tiffany's and being like, give me what, give me what you got. <laughs> and I can't even imagine what that must have felt like for her like what the people were thinking, looking at her, just like, it's just so brazen. It's so brazen for her to do that. And she didn't care that it ate up all her profits for that month, (laughs) which it did. She just wanted to spoil herself. And the unfortunate thing with all of this is that she didn't look after her health and she developed hypertension and she lived with that for years, but the strain of it really started to deteriorate her health. And four months after buying that bangin' set of, uh, that bangin' diamond, excuse me, and just after moving into her beautiful mansion that she had just built, she collapsed on her parlor floor and shortly later died of kidney failure. And so even though she had all of these beautiful, luxurious things, the cars, the diamonds, the house, at the time of her death, she had a net worth of just over half a million dollars, which really doesn't even make her a millionaire. But- I told you, she had a friend. And so her friend, Freeman Ransom, decided to publicize that she had been a millionaire because he realized that the future of the Walker Company and the estate depended on her memory. He also realized that for her, the legacy of being a millionaire really would be that for the community. And so he created press releases for black newspapers that implied that Madam had been a millionaire and the tactic worked. And that's how the legend began to be reported as a fact that she was the first black millionaire under his direction. According to him, the company brought in a million dollars in a two year span from 1919 to 1920, um, which was its most competitive year with Poro. However, if you look at it, Poro did more than three million dollars in that same time period, which is thirty six point six million (laughs) dollars. in today's money so at the time walker died she had you know a little less than a million dollars her friend fudged the numbers a little bit said that it actually brought in two million dollars but in reality the real uh i'm not going to say winner there's no winners or losers the woman who truly created the black hair industry and truly was a millionaire brought in twice as much that as her And so the story to me was so interesting because there's so much here. There's so much in this story. There's so much about building things for the community, about following your heart, about being true to yourself, about taking risks when it seems like you're crazy, about seeing a niche market, about seeing something that people want, but The people who really are in power right now are refusing to see, they're refusing to make for whatever reason. It's about using words to build your image. It's about using friends, having friends that see what you're trying to make. I'm getting emotional, you guys, because I love this story. It's about friends who see what you're trying to make and wanna help you and wanna help to raise you up because they see what you're doing is bigger than just you, it's for the community. I just loved learning about this. I loved learning about this story. And this started because I was like, like I said, I just wanted to induct somebody into the Beauty Baddie Hall of Fame. And I thought, well, Madam C.J. Walker, I don't know a lot about her, but I have this picture of her hanging in my studio. And what I got was this incredible story of fortitude and innovation and a love of a community and a love of self and a willingness to... Make something for others, and the result of making something for others is prosperity. You know more than more than either of these women I think ever really thought that they could ever have. And no, prosperity isn't the only thing that's important, but we live in a capitalist society. Don't it, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> it doesn't hurt, and in fact, it's what it takes to make change. Unfortunately, it takes money in this country to make great change, but we saw that they were able to do it. And now here over a hundred years later, we're telling their story. And here I am trying to follow in these women's footsteps. So with that being said, I can't believe I'm crying on this episode. Y'all you have listened to me for a long time and I've never cried this much on this episode on an episode, but Annie Turnbow, Sarah Breedlove slash Madam CJ Walker, Welcome to the Beauty Baddie Almanac. Welcome to the Beauty Batty Hall of Fame. Thanks for everything that y'all you did. You guys are fucking true beauty baddies. True. The truest beauty baddies. Oh, God, guys. What did you think of that? What did you think? I know that this is an episode that was definitely different than usual, but I just wanted to begin the new era this way. I wanted to begin the new era sharing something with you that really inspired me and really opened my heart to make me realize that this is truly the right path for me. There's no place else that I would want to be. There's no place else that I should be. But here with you, slinging beauty, preaching beauty, (laughs) sharing stories, and having laughs, that's it. That's it, guys. I love you so much. So with that, we have some incredible episodes that are coming up. We have... Stephen Ray Morris, who's going to be here very soon to do a guest episode with me. We have the incredible Sally Olivia Kim from Crush Tonic, who made the incredible collagen that we talk about. We're going to be having an incredible episode about supplements with her. We have the incredible Roberta coming back. We're going to have some fun episodes with her as my guest co-host. I have a lot of really great guests that are going to be coming to teach y'all about everything that you want to know, everything that I want to know. I'm working really hard to get some Big name guests, big, big people to come. Y'all are going to be excited. I'm excited. Can you tell I'm excited? I went from crying to like laughing. I went all over the emotional landscape with y'all today. (laughs) This is how excited I am for the next era of the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. So that's what's upcoming Y'all can DM or email me your listener letters and your beauty baddie moments of the week, or you can send me some suggestions of some beauty baddies that you would like to nominate into the Beauty Baddie Hall of Fame. You can send all of that to me on Instagram at the True Beauty Podcast or at truebeautypodcast at gmail.com. On Instagram, I'm at the Brown Elizabeth Taylor. And usually I say, oh, you can still make a virtual appointment with me. Y'all can't make an in-person appointment with me, but you can make a virtual appointment with me at TrueBeautyBrooklyn.com. And that is it. I will see you all next week. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old.